Welcome to the Adventure Mechanic side quest, and today it's just me, Chandler. I've been hard at work getting some mandatory features into the mapper, such as saving and getting chunking to work, so today I wanted to talk about different approaches to game design. For those who don't know, there are a bunch of different ways to approach game design. There are fundamentals that cross multiple different approaches, and not all of the approaches are truly unique. So, what am I talking about here? Well, simply put, it's the process that the designer uses to guide how they design the game. The most fundamental design method I've found so far stems from how a game is defined. For the purposes of this talk, I'm going to call this the fundamental game design method. In this design approach, you can see a game as a start point, a goal, some opposition, with decisions to work around them, and a rule set to interact with. What is the value of designing from such a low level? To put it bluntly, you'll have to take nothing for granted. This is particularly useful when you're designing a simple, or puzzle, or even a tabletop game. When designing for tabletop specifically, you can't necessarily assume that the player will know the state of the game off the top of their head, or even by glancing at the board. So you'll have to distill everything down as much as possible to conform to some part of this game definition. And by having put it in one of those very limited fields, you'll have something ready very quickly. As soon as you have something more complex, however, this quickly becomes unwieldy. An RTS where there are many decisions, or a casual game where the goal is nebulous at best, doesn't really lend itself well to this framework. Explicitly writing every rule and how the player can interact with them is going to become quite tedious, believe me. Doubly so if it's going to be taken care of by the computer. This can quickly double the workload and extend the design time beyond what is acceptable to get the game out. That being said, being aware of this fundamental game design method is incredibly handy, especially when you're making those smaller, simple games. Let's say you don't have a simple game in mind, but you still need to have something to work from. What could you use then? Another option is to abstract a bit higher up and use something called transactional game design. In transactional game design, the core of the play space is between the player and the game itself. That means that it focuses on mechanics, feedback loops, interaction between the player and the game, player agency, and action verbs. This is useful for making more interactive style games. What are the core mechanics you're going to use? Well, take a look at the mechanics you wrote out. With this style of game design, you look at what many consider game design proper, like how the game feels, how the mechanics interact with each other, and how it's all shown to the player. In this context, it's not one type of player specifically, but rather all types of players in general. Transactional game design is focused on the crunchier side of the player-game interface, rather than looking at one specific type of player and catering the game to them. Transactional game design is focused on the interaction of the player with the game itself. This attitude towards game design is especially useful for action-oriented games such as twin-stick shooters or platforming games. All the focus being on the interaction of the player with the game forces the designer to really make sure that everything added makes the game better and really crunchy. Transactional game design isn't the only game design method that focuses on the player interaction and mechanics, however. One other popular game design methodology is design pillars. For design pillars, the core idea is to focus on the primary aspects the game should have and how the player will interact with the game. The pillars can be a feeling, a mechanic, or series of mechanics, or even a game style. Moreover, pillars can be modified and added as development progresses, with some caveats. Why use this design methodology? It's a zoomed out view that allows the designer to make sure that the project as a whole 
is still working towards that same initial vision. If a developer is going to add something to the game, they really have to cross-check against the pillars and make, make sure it's not in conflict with any of them. If it's not in service of one of those pillars, then adding it is usually an indicator that you're doing something called feature creep, which is very bad. Uh, the drawback to this high view of the game design process is that some of the smaller details can get lost when you're looking at the pillars as a whole and the game as a whole. Let's say you, your game isn't small or fast-paced. What if you want to look at specific styles of players and a more meta-level style of play? This is where situational game design comes in handy. In situational game design, the play space is more focused on the player. Situations, constraints, anticipation, interpretation, and finding meaning are all explicitly given focus in this style of situational game design. What is the player doing or thinking about while waiting for their turn? How are they engaging with the game when they just sit back and think about their next action? These are all areas that the designer will consider when using situational game design. In this method, the constraints are things like the rule set, controls, and visual representations. It can also include the constraints that the player may put on themselves as well, like additional challenges or thematic constraints that may not actually be in the game. This is particularly useful since, since it can inspire more mechanics and aspects that fit the game. This builds into the core loop that situational design uses. With constraints, moves, and situations, a designer can come up with a compelling game loop. The constraints structure the situations that the player is put into. Situations offer the player a variety of moves to take, and ultimately, moves alter the constraints that the player will have as they move forward in the game. Let's say that you start out making a game intentionally difficult, one that demands the player to already have some familiarity with the genre in general. You can't exactly expect them to know the ins and outs of the game from the very beginning. So how do you get the player into the game? One design approach that lends itself well into this type of game style is rational game design. For this design methodology, the ultimate goal is to keep the player in something called a state of flow. The Cliff Notes explanation of flow is that you want to keep the player in the, that Goldilocks zone where the game is just the right difficulty. It's not too hard that the player is frustrated, but the game is not so easy that the player gets bored by the experience. How do you keep the player in that flow state? It requires the designer to consider the main gameplay loop and make sure that there is enough there to keep the player engaged and it's the right difficulty, or at least gives the player options on how to solve a situation that matches their skill set. Early on in the game, the challenge level should be just above tutorial, since the expected skill level will be low. As a player makes their way towards the end, the difficulty can build upon the previously completed challenges, ideally culminating in the player mastering the game itself by the end. This particular approach to game design lends itself very well to linear style games like a story-based shooter or a tower defense style game. One of the drawbacks of this style of game design is that it does not work well in a multiplayer arena. You cannot rely on guardrails to keep the player in a state of flow when they just keep getting curb stomped by other players. This can be partially mitigated by using smarter matchmaking, but that is no guaranteed way to solve the problem. This is by no means all the methodologies for game design, but these are the ones that I found most useful to me. Before anybody decides to comment, I will be going through the design methodology that I used for the mapper. For my purposes, I've been using design pillars. 
Instead of focusing on mechanics as my design pillars, however, I've been using concepts. In this case, I've been using the thrill of discovery, nonviolence, and cartography as the core pillars of the mapper. The mapper obviously began as a game about cartography, so I had to make it one of the design pillars. The thrill of discovery also ties nicely into cartography since mapping the unknown isn't necessarily the same thing, but the thrill of discovery is still close enough to my first pillar to complement it. The final pillar I chose was nonviolence. There's no part of cartography that necessitates using violence, and I didn't really want to cobble a combat system on top of the game, especially if it could potentially overtake the primary gameplay loop that I wanted. In the end, these three pillars were enough to make a compelling game for me. All of the mechanics that I've added to the mapper so far have been in service to these three pillars. Despite me primarily using design pillars as the framework, I've also used the other design methodologies talked about at various times as I've needed them. As one last surprise, I do actually have a new build of the mapper for you this month. I don't have all of the mechanics implemented that I wanted yet, but I do have a large step forward in terms of the look and feel of the game. I've implemented a rudimentary save system along with a flag system that allows players to place flags both on the map and in the world. There are also a large number of changes on the back end, but that's more for, to make my life easier and not necessarily something you will see. I'm also going to be releasing the mapper onto itch.io moving forward since I feel that it's progressed far enough to be presentable to a wider audience. If you have any feedbacks or suggestions, leave a comment. Any feedback is going to make the mapper better. That's all that I have for this side quest. As always, you can find me on Twitter at JC Suron. This has been the Adventure Mechanics, and I'll talk with you next time.